Welcome. This is Alexia Hudson Ward, the Editor-in-Chief of Toward Inclusive Excellence, or TIE for short, a multimedia blog hosted by Choice, a publishing unit of the Association of College and Research Libraries, a division of the American Library Association. We explore issues of equity, diversity, inclusion, and accessibility that affect the higher education community. Among the goals of this channel is the development of a pool of knowledge and actionable resources for information professionals, undergraduates, faculty of all disciplines, campus staff, and administrators at every level seeking to understand racism from new perspectives and to promote racial justice on their campuses. We are excited to welcome you to our podcast series that borrows its name from the Higher Education Academic Calendar. Therefore, you are listening to Ty's Fall Semester Podcast Series. Our second Fall Semester Podcast features a great discussion with Crystal McCormick Ware, the inaugural Chief Diversity Officer and Senior Advisor to the University President on DEI at Duquesne University. In this podcast, Crystal illuminates for us how colleges and universities can foster and strengthen belonging on campus for all campus populations, including students, faculty, staff, and administrators. Crystal highlights how belonging must go deeper than institutional statements to incorporate measurable outcomes, such as the retention of students and staff. Crystal served as the Director of Diversity and Inclusion Initiatives at the University of Pittsburgh Library System from 2004 to 2021. In that role, she was responsible for DEI initiatives for over 250 faculty, staff, and students on five campuses, including four regional campus libraries. She also conducted diversity programming and training for the entire library system, and led university library system-driven diversity efforts throughout the larger academic community. Crystal is a founding member of the Greater Pittsburgh Higher Education Diversity Consortium and has provided diversity and inclusion training for the Pittsburgh Public Schools Food Service Division, the Junior League of Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Diversity Council, the National School Nutrition Association, and other nonprofit organizations based in the Pittsburgh region. In her role at Duquesne, Crystal is the coordinator of the President's Advisory Council on DEI and provides essential updates on internal metrics and progress on DEI initiatives. Crystal also works with the University President and the leadership, advising on issues related to Duquesne's DEI strategy and providing support to advance innovative approaches to diversity-related initiatives on campus. She holds a bachelor's in political science and sociology, a master's degree in education from Duquesne University, and also holds several DEI certifications from multiple institutions. Now to our conversation with Crystal McCormick Ware. Sorry, 
Crystal, thank you so much for joining us. Looking forward to this conversation today. Well, thank you for the invitation. I'm honored to do so. Absolutely. Absolutely. The topic of belonging is, is such a big topic. Yet, I think for many of our toward inclusive excellence uh, listeners and you know our colleagues within higher education, it still feels a little nebulous. And so I know that you're going to be able to provide us a lot of really good context um, in relation to how belonging intersects with DEI. And so my first question for you is that you know many institutions have adopted and incorporated belonging within their diversity, equity, and inclusion plans. So how do you, Crystal, define belonging within the higher education context, and is it measurable? So I'll just give you a little bit of history. I'm in my prior position. That's when the wording belonging came to be, so I think it's more generational. So I think the Zs and the young millennials, you know, came up with the belonging piece. And so when I Mm. think of belonging... I think of, you know, people feeling valued and comfortable in who they are and in their space. They have a comfort zone and a safety zone where they can say what they feel and not be judged. So belonging to me and my interpretation and just talking to um, a a relatively older Z, who would be my 24-year-old daughter, what makes you feel like you belong? She says comfort. Mm. I'm not being judged. I'm not being attacked by my thoughts. Mm, And so with mm -hmm. that in mind, I said, well, you know, let's go into a little bit more detail about this. So, you know, Alexia, Alexia, when you told me about, you know, belonging, I'm like, let me do some research because I did work in a library at one point. But my best research was my 24 year old. And, you know, she's working now. And I said, you're in the workplace now. How do you feel like you belong? She says, well, they include me in things. They ask me for my input. I feel like I truly belong and I'm not just a bystander as a colleague. And I feel the same way about higher education. These students are here for four to six years or regardless, you know, but it all depends on their program. But they want to have some input, not just inside the classroom, but outside of the classroom so that they have some type of they've had they leave their mark wherever they are, Um, either in the classroom or in the residence halls. Even in the lunchroom or cafeteria or eating facility, activities that they belong to, fraternities, sororities, other you know, extracurricular activities, they feel like they truly belong and they have a voice and that they can participate, as you said, and feel very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I want to follow up with you on the idea of like the intersection of belonging and inclusion. You know, and as you and I've had like several conversations, belonging is really starting to rise to the surface of strategic planning processes with many institutions um, throughout the United States. And I imagine that globally it's going to also take some traction as well. Do you feel that this concept of belonging is measurable? So in other words, you know, is there some kind of connection through which we can say, yes, you know, belonging has mattered and here is why. So we have been, we've actually been um, surveying our students and asking them um, within each unit, you know, do you belong? Do you feel valued? And we've been getting data back. Um, And the data 
has been conclusive. 97% of our students said that diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging make a big difference in them, you know, deciding on coming to this institution. Um, and wow. 91% said that faculty, staff, and administration in terms of diversity is a big deal. So including them into the surveying, as opposed to just saying, are you happy here? Are you unhappy here? It's helping us with our retention measures. So what we've done is we've taken that in, that information back to the administration, faculty, um, and the president and the cabinet and said, These are what, this is what's important to these students as well as their parents. So parents have also had a say-so in terms of where they want their children to go um, and belong on a campus. And so coming in, our admissions office has actually done some surveying as well, asking parents whether or not what's important, how do you feel like you can belong as part of the university committee, community. And we actually developed a, par a parent portal that's on the website for parents to log in and find out what's going on with their child. I mean, of course, it's not FERPA. They can't go in and look at their grades, but they can see what's going on on campus so they can feel a little more involved in their child's life. And then the children, you know, the students, they have an opportunity to have conversations with their parents. But, mm. you know, I think that's a big part of, you know, belonging, that the parents feel like they belong as well. So we are intentional when we recruit um, that we engage the parents as well as the students. It's, it's important to us to do the whole holistic belonging and inclusion component. Including someone is nice. That's when you're inviting. You're like, hey, you know, come on. Belonging is like, we need for you. We need your input. and We need it mm. badly. We really value your input. And we're going to take it seriously. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. You um, touched on the connection between belonging and retention, and that actually uh, goes into my next question for you, is thinking about those connections, Crystal, also for faculty and for staff. Because I think for a lot of us in higher education, when belonging comes up as a conversation, we're going to incorporate it in planning, our minds and our gaze automatically goes to students. But you and I both know that belonging is just as essential um, for faculty and for staff and, and administrators as well. So could you talk about those connections that you could potentially see between belonging and retention for the entire community um, in addition to students? Well, it's interesting you just brought that up because in my presentation to the new staff orientation this past week, I talked about valuing others and belonging and that for the first time We've had, I would say, informal affinity groups or employee resource groups, but now we're actually launching a full-fledged formal ERG group, and we're surveying, we're surveying faculty, staff, and administration. We've given them eight choices. We said, mm -hmm. and if you have some ideas, you know, jot them down, but here we're going to start with eight. We're going to select the top five, and then we're going to move forward with those, and as we grow, we'll add more ERGs. What I explained to, new, to the new staff is if the students, if you don't feel like you belong as faculty, staff, and administration, it's going to be conveyed upon the student, and they're going to know that. Yes. These are very insightful young people. They will come back and say, you know, someone's disengaged. Well, they act like they didn't really want to be here. They didn't want to service me. So, you know, offices that are very important are student life, 
residence life, financial aid. These are the front, you know, these are the front men for universities, um, you know, admissions coming in the door. But then student life, um, well-being and counseling, all of these divisions that are student-facing are so important. Even their academic advisors, which we now call student, uh, we call them student success coaches because we want it to be collaborative. We don't want it just to be the academic advisor telling the student what they need to do. This is a collaborative effort. So what we've done with that is the student success coaches were some of the main people who said to us, you know what, we need to feel like we belong as well because we know Mm -hmm. that we have a very important role at the university. So now we have choices between religious diversity because I'm at a Catholic institution, but we have such a diverse group of faculty, staff, administration, and students that are not um, of the Catholic faith. And so in our Center for Well-Being and Counseling, we have a non-denominational prayer room. We have one in that space as well as within the residence life spaces so that everyone feels like they belong. The LGBTQIA community, um, women, we've just added four more lactation rooms to the university where we always had one. It was kind of hidden and tucked away, but now they're, you know, spread throughout campus. And so from January until now, we went from one until five, we're getting ready to get six. And then hopefully within another year, we'll have seven lactation rooms. The incoming, you know, workforce at most colleges and universities you see are women who are childbearing. Um, Just on my Mm -hmm. floor alone where I work, there are two women who are actually going to have a baby and a couple of them who are coming back from maternity leave. It's so important that they feel like they belong. They should not have to do this in their car or in some space that is not comfortable for them. So you have to look at it from a holistic view as well as just, you know, an academic or scholarly view. Belonging is extremely important. We will retain talented faculty, staff, administration, and students if they feel as though they belong and they have a comfort zone and that someone truly cares. And you know, research will tell you that a lot of faculty, staff, and, um, you know, administration on campuses will leave because they just don't feel comfortable. Uh, we actually right. had a student who came into Duquesne. He was not a student of color. He was a young man who was not a student of color, as I said before, but he came from lower economic needs. Upon interviewing and, you know, coming on the campus, He um, actually called the admissions office and a very caring admissions officer answered the phone. And he said, I've been here for a week, but I don't know if I belong here. She Mm. talked him through it. She called me immediately and said, you know, what should I do? And I said, give him my number. I said, I'm here for all of the students. I reached out to him. I said, here are some resources for you. But if you need to speak to me directly, I can help you navigate. Um, this system. I said, because not everyone is coming from, you know, well means at this university. We have socioeconomic means across the board with faculty, staff, and students, you know, across the board. So Mm -hmm. he came in and we spoke and I said, you know, I come from humble beginnings as well. Um, I came from a steel town where both of my parents were, you know, blue collar workers, a nurse and steel mill. And it made him more relatable. It made it more relatable for him. He said, I just feel overwhelmed. There's a bunch of rich kids here. I'm like, everyone has their niche here and everybody has their place. And you can make your mark as well. 
And when I said that to him, he smiled a little bit and he said, thank you. He said, I was just so nervous because I just felt like I was out of my league. You know, that imposter syndrome and with faculty, staff and administration. So now I'll admit when I came in, I, I went here, I graduated from here. I was very involved. My daughter went here. You have a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, do I belong here? You know, and so you have to prove yourself. But then as the weeks went by, you know, um, you infiltrate yourself, you become more comfortable because of the people around you who make you feel like you belong, who reiterate that you belong here and that you have a voice and that we're seeking you for impact and for influence and persuasion about DE&I and belonging issues and valuing others. Yes, thank you so much. And I think um, for the purpose of our audience's knowledge, um, an ERG is an employee resource group. And they're also Um, called affinity groups as well. Yeah. And they're also called affinity groups. Yes. And they are typically uh, comprised of individuals who share some form of a commonality who will formally or informally get together to support each other and also to support each other in advancement of the work of their respective institutions. And so thank you for sharing that really great story about constituting of some new employee resources groups at your university. It harkens to my next question um, for you, Crystal, around policy, right? And and you and I, over the over the many, many, many years that we have <laughs> known Long each time. other, we many, 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 <laughs> many years that we've known each other, you know, we have talked a lot about the necessity to not vacate governance while we are looking to scale DEI initiatives, belonging being one of them, right? And the implementation of the policy that invites various perspectives and and experiences into the institution's decision-making fold is really important. Can you talk about the ways in which you negotiate that political landscape, right, around how you help to shepherd through or support or advance DEI policy that ensures that the belonging initiatives are successful and remain in place, that they have degrees of sustainability? So I work, I'm on cabinet. And so I'm one of two women on cabinet and two people of color on cabinet. Um, I work very- And this is the president's cabinet, right? President's cabinet of the university. So on on the weekly basis, um, we meet and we talk about, and we hash out policies and procedures that will make life better for our faculty, staff, students and administration. And so when I talk about DEI, I, I want to get the 100% support of cabinet um, and especially the general counsel, community engagement, and the president. So across the board, we have all the senior vice presidents in that room. And as we talk about policies like the chosen name um, initiative, the hear my name initiative, the lactation room initiative, I need them as my partners and leaders and colleagues to help pass some things through. And so, but we make sure we want to be within the legal confinement of doing things legally through the proper due process, as well as getting the nod from cabinet. So I work very closely with the general counsel to make sure that we are in alignment, that we are not showing reverse discrimination or anti, you know, all of the things that you can be accused of. Um, we want to mm-hmm. be a so being a Catholic institution, it's easy because we follow our mission, and our mission is to serve God by serving our students, and we follow the seven marks of a spirit in education. We're the only spirit in 
um, university in the world. Um, so we're a Catholic order that is very unique. So when we say you're a unicorn, you definitely are a unicorn because you're the only one. And so it's easy to infuse the spirit and mission along with the DE&I purposes because the Spiritans were the ones who went out into Africa and served as missionaries. And they had to serve a certain number of years in order to be ordained as a spirit and missionary. Um, they, they're throughout the country. We've had spiritans in the United States for 150 years. So we, we, you know, there's that line of governance, but also the mission, the animated, you know, mission. And it's important that we infuse them on a day-to-day basis. So on any given day, I look at our diversity statement that has mm-hmm. been, and we, we do have an official diversity statement that every new faculty, staff, administrator, and student receives the minute they walk in the door. So there's no question where we are. We say diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and social justice is in our DNA. And so it's read. Um, they, they sign off on it. The parents get it as well. So they have a full understanding. But getting back to your original question, um, I make sure that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted, that we are within legal alignment um, so that we are not showing any type of reverse discrimination or anything of that um, instance. But I am excited to just let you know that we do have a new DE&I certificate program that is 30 hours. Um, It's for faculty, staff, and administration because we feel it starts at the top. So, mm-hmm. you're, and so, you know, we also have DNI within, you know, curriculum. However, we want faculty, staff, and administration to be trained. 30 hours, seven required um, courses, and three electives, unless they want to take all six of the electives. I'm an overachiever, so I'll be sitting there at all 13. <laughs> we're very excited because we're one of the first universities that actually has a DNI certificate program, but it's infused with our mission. And so we're covering religious diversity, socioeconomic diversity, the military, the LGBTQIA community, um, implicit bias, microaggressions, Title IX, gender issues. Um, we, we cover wow. everything. How to be an ally, how to be an effective ally. And we talk about workforce bullying. And they're like, well, what does that have to do with DE&I? Well, someone who's on the receiving end of a microaggression might see that as workforce bullying. And so we need to talk about that. So we're being very transparent right. and very open about why it's important that everybody feels as though they belong. We are developing mentorship programs so that specific groups that might be underrepresented on campus, they have a place to go to outside of an affinity group or ERG just to you know, have some camaraderie and friendship so that they mm-hmm. know they're not the only one. So it's important that we make sure that everyone knows that they belong. And so, you know, within the nine months, almost 10 months that I've been here, we've made some leeway. That's really fabulous. And I'm very impressed with Duquesne's internal credentialing program, because it's one of the few in the nation that I've heard of where um, uh, anyone can basically take a course of learning to be credentialed on a campus. Yes, with the understanding around the intersections of the research, the policy, procedure. But then, as you had also said, you know, it also helps to create a cohort of practitioners beyond the chief diversity officer, right? And so I just think that that's really an interesting aspect of the work that you are helping to lead and that you're designing. 
at your institution. That is really fabulous. We have like we have 38 people in our cohort and it's going from the wow. dean, the deans all the way down down wow. the pipeline. So we, we're starting very high. We have three deans that are enrolled out of the 10 for this training. And they have been participatory, um, engaging, but then we also have admissions, the frontline people, and they tend to be younger. So our very first course that we start, we launched in September on September 8th. The very first course that we introduced is generational diversity because on college campuses, we have five generations on campus from the traditionalists right. who tend to be faculty to the Generation Zs who are in the classroom. So then in between that, you have the baby boomers, the Xers, the millennials. And so, you know, what can we do to bring everyone together to be on the same accord? Each course is three hours. We could have had the multi-generational diversity course for another three or four hours, and which we might be. <laughs> yes, it was very engaging. Um, there was some serious, you know, we laughed a little bit about some of the stereotypes of each of the uh, groups, but we said, how can we work with them? And so they might have these stereotypes or you know, some bad publicity, but what can we do to work positively with them? Yeah, no, thank you for that. That's really fabulous. Um, so, Crystal, my last question to you is that, you know, what has been great in watching your trajectory and your, your leadership trajectory for me is how you bring a lot of people under the tent and that you iterate on all of your professional experiences, you know, to help to influence the ways in which a lot of individuals and entities can be under the broader tent. And so reflecting back on your experience as an academic library administrator and now sitting in the seat of the chief diversity officer of a major university in which you report directly to the president, I'm really interested in hearing from you, how can libraries contribute to and model institutional belonging efforts? So as the DEI um, officer, at the Academic Library at the University of Pittsburgh. A lot of what I did at Pitt, I'm doing here. I'm infusing and you know just transferring, and I, I have more power um, and more influence now. So right. I'm taking it to another level. But with that said, I work very closely with the library. Still, um, I have someone on my bias education response team. I have someone from the library on the President's Council um, on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, also the Inclusive Network, because they provide the research. They give us the, the cited articles that can back up any type of information that we need to present to cabinet and to faculty. They can look it up immediately and find out what the trends are in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So the library dean, um, Sarah Barron, has been especially helpful in her whole entire team. They've been so open, and I'm happy to say that they are on it in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they're ahead. And I'm very proud of that because they've been open and honest. And even prior to me coming here, they were doing cutting-edge type of programming. And they don't have a DE&I officer. This is just within the team. So academic libraries, to me, and I, I have a soft spot for them because I worked with them for 20 years. If you use the library and take advantage of the resources and the expertise, there's no reason why any college or university would not have 
proper means to execute a diversity, equity, and inclusion program because of their information and their expertise on these subject matters. They have that information. It's just a matter of using it and using it the right way. So it's not just the place of books. And, you know, I actually co-presented with one of the library um, team at the new staff orientation, and they were talking about some of their programming and exhibits, and it's highlighting Hispanic Heritage Month, and they did the Holocaust, and they do programming almost on a bi-monthly basis, and it's dealing with diversity, equity, and inclusion, and which I'm really proud of as well, because they infuse that some way, somehow. Thank you. And then I also want to talk a little bit um, about the second part of the question is around how library staff can model belonging, right? And so um, we definitely bring the goods when it comes to the research and the enthusiasm of serving on committees that do important work. Yet there's a lot of work ahead of us in terms of our own diversity measures and metrics, um, addressing implicit bias, becoming anti-racist organizations. So could you talk to the academic library community? How do you see from your vantage point, from your leadership role, what are the opportunities that are ahead of academic libraries in terms of really modeling internally, one-to-one with their staff, how to model belonging within the libraries? Well, I can say just based on what I'm experiencing now, um, a lot of the librarians are working on committees throughout the uh, university to learn more about diversity, equity, and inclusion, actually signing up for training, um, as well as going through their internal academic training through ALA and policy and you know AC, um, RL, all of those types of programming can be really beneficial to academic libraries. Um, just from my tour, when I first began um, at Duquesne, I noticed that there weren't any lactation rooms, but then I got a phone call and they said, guess what we're going to do? We're going to add a lactation room just because you brought it up. And I was very pleased and happy about that because they're going through restructuring in that room, in that building, and they weren't necessarily sure if they were able to, you know, they had to make choices between certain rooms. And when she said it, I said, oh, okay. I said, but it would still be nice. And so, you know what? I didn't have to ask anymore. Two months later, she's like, guess what we're going to do? We're going to fit that room in there. So just things like that, um, make a big difference in people's lives. Something that simple to say that we're adding a lactation room to a woman. And I actually had someone say to me, my children are older. They're, they're teenagers. But I remember the days where I had to go out in my car or I had to go into the ladies' room. And to know that you were, you're working on these rooms and, you know, the library is going to have one and certain divisions, you know, we're trying to get them across campus. She said, that made me feel good. And she said, I'm just happy that there's somebody out there that I, she said, I'll never have another child. However, she's happy that these steps are being made. So academic libraries, I think within themselves, they can do another own assessment as to where they are and where they need to move forward. Um, working mm-hmm. with your DE&I office and asking them, what can the library do um, to be more inclusive? We actually did um, a study at the University of Pittsburgh prior to me leaving, asking students of color, what can we do to make you feel like you belong? They talked about artwork. 
So as a result, the University of Pittsburgh, they featured the August Wilson art on the floor, the archives floor, um, archives and preservation, beautiful displays of artists who did different types of paintings and artwork Mm. to depict August Wilson. Um, Exhibits Mm -hmm. that display diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, during Disability Resources Month, to display your collection that talks about disability resources and how you can become more culturally competent in terms of, you know, November Veteran Affairs and Native American Affairs, um, Disability Resources in October, Hispanic Heritage Month in September slash October, December, highlighting all of the holidays of all of the religions going from, you know, November all the way through January to February, you know, Black History Month, um, Women's History Month, highlighting those collections, um, talking amongst each other as to how you can, you know, promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. It starts with the library dean. Um, The library dean needs to set the tone um, and talk about it. And that page can be welcoming. It can have a diversity statement. Um, And it could just be the university statement, but it can also be listed on the diversity on that page of the website of the academic library to know that you are in congruence with the university diversity page or land acknowledgement statement. I'm working on a land acknowledgement statement right now because Duquesne at the time did not have one. And I felt it was was important that we infuse the history of Duquesne University Mm -hmm. um, because the Fort Duquesne, before it became Fort Pitt, hence Pittsburgh, it was Fort Duquesne. And this was one of the major thoroughfares for the French and Indian War. And so I contacted the Three Rivers Adoption Council, I mean, I mean Three Rivers um, Indian Council, as well as the library to get information about our, you know, contribution and the historical content of Fort Duquesne before, you know, Duquesne University and all of these things. And we put it together. We have a very powerful draft of a land acknowledgement statement. And I feel that I would have rather waited to have a good statement than just say, you know, here, we're going to recognize you. We're standing on your land. Um, Right. But here are the historical um, contributions that you all have made to American society that we use on a day-to-day basis. So, That was from the help of the library. Great. Crystal, thank you so much for this conversation today. We really appreciate it. And we know that our listeners are going to have a lot of value. You gave us a lot of really great ideas that uh, we can implement almost automatically in partnership with our various institutions, chief diversity officers, uh, diversity officers, and others who are really committed to this work and to this concept, broadening the concept of belonging. So thank you so much for your time. And thank you. As a final note, I would just say that chief diversity officer working with the library dean, if the library deans, if they're on this call um, or the associate librarians are on this you know, webcast, I would, I would challenge you to reach out to your CDO and say, you know, after this, this podcast, I realize I need to reach out to you and be proactive. And what can we do to make life better for the university on the whole, not just the um, diversity office, but the university on the whole? Be on those diversity committees so you can take back that information to the rest of your body and your colleagues. Great. Wonderful charge. Thank you so much again for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to our Toward Inclusive Excellence Fall Semester Podcast with Crystal McCormick Ware, the Chief Diversity Officer and Senior Advisor to the University President on DEI at Duquesne University. Sign up for reminders of new content releases and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you so much for your time and support. Be well.